Hello and welcome to the second of the weekly episodes of the Anything Goes podcast. Now, if you are a first-time listener, I want to welcome you to the Anything Goes podcast. My name is Toby and I'm going to be your host. If you are a returning listener, I want to thank you very much for coming along again and listening to the latest information that I'm here to provide you with. Today's episode, as I say, is the second in our weekly episodes. We have had another episode go out last week. That was a deep dive into the Avengers console game, so give that one a listen if you haven't already. Uh, This week we are going to be discussing how to stay sane in lockdown 3 in the UK. We've just entered our third lockdown. The AEW review from this past week. We are going to look at the latest football results and headlines. And we are also going to be looking at some big Marvel news, including some upcoming release dates and the Black Panther franchise uh, after the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman earlier in 2020. So a lot to cover today. Really excited to have you here. Of course, I'm going to quickly plug the social media accounts on Instagram. You can follow me at anything goes podcast underscore 616 where you will get a lot of up-to-date news on a daily basis two to three posts a day minimum uh, stories uh, engaging content so please go across have a look there and please follow and share on spotify as well so let's get on with the show our first topic today is staying sane in lockdown three now this isn't going to be a super long section but it's one that i think is really important to touch on we have just recently entered our third lockdown in the uk and as a result a lot of people are spending loads and loads of time at home now whether you're working from home or you've been furloughed or you know whatever situation you're in This is a very difficult situation for everyone. So I just wanted to sort of provide some ideas for people as to how you can keep yourself busy, keep yourself sane during lockdown three. Now, there are about six ideas that I'm going to put towards you. Now, you don't have to take on any of these, but it might just stimulate an idea within you for something else. So the first thing that I'm going to suggest is something very, very simple, which is exercise. Now, Exercise has really been restricted for a lot of people as a result of everything being closed. You can't go to the gym, you can't go to certain public areas where you might like to engage with certain types of exercises. But what you can do is you can try and stay active at home or in the allocated exercise time that you can have. It might be that you are someone who is happy to go out running or walking and take advantage of nature, get out into it, have a nice long walk, discover footpaths, discover different runs that you've never done before in your local area. Not only is that something that's going to help you in terms of your body, in terms of keeping you active and allowing your body to continue to stay in a good state, but you need to try and think about the other aspect is that you're going to be engaging with nature. You're going to be finding new areas that you can go out to and explore whilst also exercising. So it's really beneficial to sort of learn where you are as well as get some exercise. I mean, we recently, well, I say recently, we've moved here nearly a year ago now where we're living and we're still finding new footpaths and new potential runs that we can go on every single week just due to the fact that we are more than willing to go out, either get in our car or just go out from the front door and find something. So it's something that I would encourage. If you're not someone that can go out or wants to go out, then walk around your flat, walk around your house. That's absolutely fine. Why don't you do some um, you know, loops of the house? You could go up and down the stairs just to get that little bit of exercise to keep your body stimulated. 
Now, when I talk about exercise at home, or even if you're going to go out and do a run or anything like that, you don't have to push yourself. You don't have to go to some crazy limits. You can keep this to like 20, 30 minutes a day just to get your body working, get your blood pumping and get your heart rate increased and don't lose any muscle mass in that way. You can, of course, do exercise at home in the form of circuits as well. There are loads of different exercise videos that you can access on the internet, on YouTube. Loads of different exercises that you can just access just by Googling and read your way through them. Um, it might be that you do some yoga and some stretching. It might be that you do some core. It might be that you do a full body circuit. There are so much that is available to you, and I would definitely encourage that you go and have a look at it. The next thing I want to sort of suggest is to be artistic. Could you potentially look at doing some uh, some drawing, some colouring, maybe you could do some painting, whether it's uh, DIY based painting and being artistic, changing the colour of a room, or just getting out a paintbrush and a piece of paper and deciding that you're going to create something wonderful. It's very, very relaxing as well as something that's going to consume time. My wife, she likes to go out and take pictures of wildlife and take pictures of landscape, which is something we've been able to do over the winter period, but also during this lockdown. And it's something, again, that you could do if you've, I'm sure most people these days have a phone with a camera on it. Go out for a walk. It, in, it therefore encourages you to exercise as well. But go and try and take five or six nice pictures and then come home again. And then you can just have those. You can delete them when you get home, but try and go through uh, a process to engage your artistic side. Additionally, uh, you could play games, and that doesn't necessarily just mean what I would think playing games is. Of course, I am a gamer, so I'm going to spend most of my time in lockdown on the PlayStation where I can. That is something that a lot of people might criticise, but you know, it's what I enjoy and it's what keeps me stimulated. To me, playing games allows me to have to think and react quickly, so it's something that is beneficial. But maybe you could play other sort, other forms of games. It could be that you uh, play games with a partner. It might be a board game, a card game, something as simple as um, you know, noughts and crosses. But something, again, just to stimulate the mind, to take up a bit of time, but also to do something a little bit different, to break a routine. It doesn't have to be something... And I think that's something, actually, to say about all three of the points that I've made so far in terms of exercise, art and playing games, these don't have to become a solid part of your routine. This can just be something that you, boom, add into the daily routine and you enjoy as a result. Similarly, um, my next point is one that could be slightly controversial and that is to watch a bit of TV. Now, what I mean by that is not to sit in front of the TV all day, but again, find something that you enjoy. Maybe you could start a new series, maybe you could start watching a series of films, whether that be something like Star Wars or the Marvel movies or something like that, to give yourself something to look forward to. Now, the way that I sort of would suggest that is to, if you're going to watch a film series or you're going to watch a TV series, allocate some time in the evening where you're going to sit down and watch that TV show so you've got it to look forward to. Uh, and then in the daytime, you can try and get on with other things around that so that you don't just sit and binge watch as well. So it's allocating TV time. Maybe that's going to help you stay in a, a little bit more sane. Sane being the word that I've decided to go with, not to say uh, that lockdown has caused anyone to go nuts, although I'm sure it's starting to get that way. Um, another thing is relaxation techniques such as breathing exercises and meditation. 
Um, in terms of obviously we're talking about staying sane, so it's not just things to keep you occupied, but things to help you stay relaxed and keep your mind in a positive state. So have a look at meditation. It might be that you just take 10 minutes to sit with your eyes closed and just think about things or to just completely switch off and not necessarily have a sleep, although you could use that time to just have a sleep for 10 minutes. Um, but it's just to sort of switch off from everything outside of your there and now. Additionally, other other relaxation techniques, it might be that you spend five to ten minutes just on deep breathing. It might be that you just lie down looking at the ceiling. It might be that you sit out in your garden and just listen to the birds. But something, again, just something for 10, 20 minutes a day just to take your mind off of other things and to help you stay in that positive state. And finally, how about a new hobby? Something like podcasting. But then again, what fool would want to podcast every week when he could be sat downstairs with his wife and dog? But no, I've decided to do this as a new hobby and it's something that I'm really, really enjoying. It gives me something to prep for and something to focus on and it's taking up time in the week. But it's also, again, like I say, it's something to look forward to. I finished this one and I look forward to doing my next podcast later this week. And again and again and again I continue to look forward to doing something a little bit different of course I personally am also using the Instagram page to keep my followers informed but also it keeps me busy but there are loads of other hobbies that you could take up you could um, look at I don't know sewing and knitting you could look at like we said photography beforehand it might be that you start reading a new type of books on uh, I don't know Norse mythology or something like that you know you could pick up something different uh, and start to engage with it so have a look at different hobbies as another option but you know this is the first section we've sort of talked about staying sane in lockdown three those are my suggestions any other suggestions please do pop them across to me on the instagram page and i'll be sure to share them Moving on from lockdown, so we have had our second episode of All Elite Wrestling of the year. Of course, last week was the very emotional and perfect Brody Lee tribute show. Uh, we've moved on from the Brody Lee tribute show back into the normal weekly programming, and we had New Year's Smash Night 1. So uh, AEW sort of set this up as the first of a big two-night special across the two weeks. New Year's Smash Night 1, which was headlined by a World Championship match, which was absolutely incredible. Can't wait to get to that very soon. Um, but we're going to go through the whole card and sort of give you a rundown as to what happened, but also give some feedback on the uh, the matches as they happened. Uh, a key thing to remind uh, people of, if they're not aware, is that with All Elite Wrestling, um, unlike WWE, wins and losses do really have an impact on the way that things lay out in All Elite. And the records at the start of each year are reset to zero and zero. So all records going into this first official show are zero and zero. So it means that everyone's on a level playing field. So the champions could be facing a brand new challenger. It could be someone that was at the top of the rankings last year, goes straight back up there again. Um, but, you know, very, very interesting the way that they do that so that we have clear number one contenders and things like that. So, as I say, this was New Year's Smash Night 1. So a big show that was marketed very heavily. And we opened the show with the Young Bucks and Soul Cal Uncensored, otherwise known as SCU versus the Hybrid 2 and the Acclaimed. Um, Max Caster of the Acclaimed, if you have never seen the Acclaimed, please go onto YouTube and Google them. Um, they're a really, really good, hot, young act. They're really, really popular with 
um, a variety of fans that have seen them on All Elite Wrestling's YouTube channel and um, on Dark, which is their weekly like sort of development show. But Max Caster raps about their opponents as they go into the ring, and whilst I'm nowhere near a rapper or a rap fan, um, the things that Max Caster, because it's quite comical, the things that Max Caster goes into in his raps are really, really good. And this was by far the best one that he's done targeting the Young Bucks and SCU so one that I would certainly recommend to um, have a look at I thought in terms of the match it was a great opener with some really good action Uh, the Young Bucks as usual in these multi-man matches took control Um, they showed off some of their amazing acrobatic ability SCU very much um, as a as a veteran tag team showed a little bit less acrobatic ability but some really really good action especially Frankie Kazarian the the acclaimed and TH2 looked great in this match as well. They tried to work together as much as they could. Um, Jack Evans, who is one half of the hybrid two, he got loads of offense in and looked really really good. The guy is so talented. He's a t- he's a high flyer that has embedded a lot of Mexican style work in terms of submissions and roll up pins into his style of work. And the guy looked absolutely amazing in this match. He. He's been he's been profiled quite a lot on Dark recently, but this was the first Dynamite match where he's looked great in recent times. So I was really really happy with that because I'm a big fan of, of the of TH2 or the Hybrid Two as they're most commonly known. Um, this match sort of built up to one big crescendo where the Young Bucks took out both of the acclaimed and one of TH2. I can't think who took the pin. I think it was Jack Evans, um, but that's something I'll have to check. Or you can let me know if you watch the match back. But um, the Young Bucks sort of cleared the ring, got everyone out. Nick Jackson, whilst Matt had him up for the best Meltzer ever, um, Nick decided to do a backflip onto the acclaimed and Angelico of TH2. Um, took them out and Christopher Daniels who has been having a bit of a a knock of his confidence and Frankie Kazarian sort of stopped trusting him as much in recent times he hit the best Meltzer ever which is a three rope moonsault onto Jack Evans uh, and they hit the one two three so the Young Bucks and SCU picked up a surprise win for me I thought TH2 and the Acclaimed would pick this one up Um, but surprise um, because they've been teasing that Daniels and Kazarian would split and I sort of thought oh that's really strange development that Christopher Daniels picked up the win um, in this match as a result of the way that they've sort of been building things but then Kazarian got on the microphone after the match uh, and said the SCU will split up if they lose one more normal tag team match so one more 2v2 match they will split up is that really a good idea I personally I don't know because I think that if SCU split up that's the end of Christopher Daniels as a singles wrestler because he is he's an immobile guy he's you know for his age he's doing some amazing things but in terms of working on his own a tag team match really covers up his flaws well Um, so I would personally suggest this would potentially be a bad move but it's interesting to see where it goes Um, I mean they sort of said that they would be taking on the Young Bucks for the titles at some point, so they're obviously confident they'll get to that place. Um, But it'll be interesting to see whether they actually do that or if they split up beforehand or if it is a match against the Young Bucks that is their inevitable end. Um, I think it's clear that we are coming to an end of SCU. Kazarian's sort of shown that he's got less patience with Christopher Daniels in recent weeks. So 
interesting development, but one that we'll keep an eye on. And of course, I'll update you week by week when we get updates on that. Uh, after that, we had John Moxley's return the first time since he's lost the title and was robbed against Kenny Omega. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to keep this relatively brief. He cut a promo saying that he wants the belt back. Essentially, he he wasn't going to bitch. He wasn't going to moan, but. He was going to lay out Omega and he was going to lay out Don Callis as well. But Moxley basically said that in this show he won't get involved until after the title match because he respects Ray Phoenix, who was challenging for the title on this show. Um, and he didn't want to get in the way of his destiny. So, um, you know, Moxley came out. He said that life is unfair. He's not going to moan. He's not going to gripe about what had happened, but he will always be in Omega's blind spot. It was a really, really passionate promo, something that we've come to get used to with John Moxley the guy is absolute fire when he picks up a microphone um, but he essentially said that Omega is not safe and he will get his revenge at some point and this feeds into later in the show but is also a really 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 strong promo for Moxley on his return and somehow managed to balance um, what's the word I'm looking for so he's, he's, he managed to balance the fact that he was coming out and saying oh I'm not I'm not really that upset about what happened, but also managing to keep himself really in the title picture as a result. So it was a really good promo. That then built into what was my surprise match of the night. Um, Jake Hager and Wardlow. So the inner circles uh, sort of civil war was coming to an end here. Hager and Wardlow are the two absolute units of the of the group. So these guys basically just had some hard hitting hoss fight in the middle of the ring. They struck each other really, really hard. Um, I thought personally watching it, the Wardlow was cheered more by the crowd. So he showed some real baby face fire and allowing him to be a baby face allows him to do some of the stuff that he can do. So Wardlow, if you ever look him up, is a huge guy, but he can do flips off the ropes. He can do moves that are not really known for guys his size um but it was a really back and forth match Wardlow wins that match in the end he ends up hitting Hager with an F10 um no shenanigans the inner circle were on the stage and to me for a lot of that time the inner circle seemed to be encouraging Hager more than Wardlow because in storyline Wardlow's not an earned member of the inner circle he is paid by MJF to be his bodyguard so it was an interesting you know development to see Hager lose that um but they fist bumped at the end of the match and everyone showed their respect um Wardlow did leave without any of the inner circle though he sort of just shot off straight away um but I guess that that shows also solidarity that they were sort of trying to pick Jake Hager up after a big loss but I thought it was a really, really good match. It showed some really good creativity. They had some really nice spots where Wardlow would hit some moves from the top rope and Jake Hager then got him into a triangle choke. Uh, he also got him in a triangle choke on the top rope, which Wardlow um, used to um, get Hager off of him by jumping off the top rope onto the top rope, um, which separated them. Wardlow comes in, hits the F10 and the one, two, three, And as I say, the inner circle... Um, go off altogether eventually but Wardlow left first without the rest of them but overall really really good match my surprise match of the night I was worried about this because Jake Hager's not been the best worker since he joined with AEW and Wardlow has only had a handful of matches so it was really interesting to see the way that they worked I thought Wardlow looked awesome uh, I've been a big fan of Wardlow since he first came into the company and I think he's gonna go towards you know, the big time in the near future. So just keep an eye on Wardlow as well. 
The next thing we had was the weigh-in. But before this, it was really interesting because um, All Elite Wrestling, because they're operating in an open-air stadium, they've been able to have fans throughout this whole thing. And um, to start off with, they had one or 200, and recently they've been getting up to 500. And this was their first show with six to 700 fans in attendance. So it was interesting to see that they're continuing to increase the attendance, and you could really hear that. Um, and it, like, as I said, in the last match, Wardlow was getting a lot of babyface support from the fans. In this next scene, or in this next section, or segment, whichever we're going to call it, um, during the weigh-in, again, you could really hear the crowd, and the more increasing numbers that we can get, the better it is for wrestling. Now, of course, that is caveated by, obviously, they have to be taking the right precautions, they have to be staying safe, and the fact that it's an open-air stadium is one thing, but AEW are taking precautions in making sure that everyone has got a face mask on and that groups are socially distanced when they attend the show so you know some real positives there that we're getting an atmosphere back in wrestling as well um, but we had a weigh-in for the tnt championship darby allen and brian cage now if you don't know who these two performers are brian cage is an absolute animal the guy is just pure muscle he's absolutely huge and the tnt champion darby allen is a skinny skater guy who is although very reckless and a really 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 good wrestler um, these two could not be more different in terms of their body shape uh, and and Brian Cage comes out he's in a in a in a, a wife beater sort of shirt he is very very big he's got baby oil all over his arms to really extenuate how big he is um, he comes out and then Darby comes out as well Brian Cage flanked by the rest of Team Taz, of course, that is Will Hobbs, Ricky Starks, and Taz himself. And as Tony Schiavone asks Cage to get on the scales first, Taz kicks off about the fact that Cage has to go first. Um, but he gets on the scales and weighs uh, 272 pounds. Darby Allen comes on and weighs 170 pounds, um, which is you know 100 pounds difference going into next week's match. Um, Taz also tends to take the mick out of Derby for nothing and he this week is saying oh you know he's still got his chain on and he's got a jacket on and a belt on and things like that so he probably weighs even less which is probably true um before this sort of comes to a natural end Derby takes the microphone off of Tony Schiavone and says oh I, I you know I'm ready for a fight let's go um but just before it kicks off Sting comes out and Team Taz retreat so yeah, great in terms of the visual, in terms of having Cage and Darby Allen go into a weigh-in. It was just great to watch those two. Um, and that should be a really, really good match next week. But um, I have one criticism, and unfortunately it is with regards to Sting, who was one of my favourite wrestlers growing up. But he has been in the company now for a few weeks. He came in at the start of December, and the only thing Sting has done is come out with his baseball bat and scare off Team Taz or some other opponents. But, you know, in most cases, it is just Team Taz. I think that Taz, sorry, that Sting really needs to either get physical or state his intentions. Um, although he's still got his mystique, what is the threat with this, you know, 60-something-year-old guy who, yeah, he's got a baseball bat, but Team Taz have got four or five members. Darby Allen and Sting, two guys together, one of which is, you know, this old guy, the other is this skinny guy that we've established Brian Cage is at least a hundred pounds heavier than. So, you know, why do they continue to back off? What is the big threat with regards to Sting? So my only criticism from that, although this wasn't a huge hit 
as a segment, I think that they really have to start showing why Sting is a big threat to Team Taz. Uh, we went backstage after this, and this is a really interesting development on AEW. MJF was calming Hager down. So Jake Hager, who, as we mentioned before, had lost to Wardlow in the 1v1 match earlier on, he was really, really annoyed, and he was um, sort of taking that out backstage on some of the equipment. Um, MJF went in to calm him down, and this feeds into the storyline that MJF is trying to turn all of the inner circle on Chris Jericho. So Chris Jericho was on commentary and is uh, a leader of the inner circle who continues to lose. MJF continues to pick up wins when they matter and is starting to get on the good side of all of the inner circle. So again, something for us to watch. Finally, um, with that segment, MJF sort of backed off. Hager said, yeah, you need to leave now. So there is still some sort of um, animosity in there but MJF left on mostly good terms with Hager so it's interesting to see how that develops now that he's sort of got Sammy Guevara and Proud and Powerful on his side as well. Um, next was Cody versus Matt Seidel another great match really really great match um, at times with a couple of issues but for me Matt Seidel who a lot of people might know as Evan Bourne from when he was in WWE it was a really really good match he looked great in defeat um, he's a great talent because Matt Seidel can eat losses week on week on week and just doesn't affect him really because he's not a talent who you're going to bring in and is going to be working up towards the top titles. He is a guy who's going to come in, have great matches, pick up the occasional win and maybe have a run at the tag titles with someone in the future. Now, um, as part of this show, Snoop Dogg was a guest appearer, um, or sorry, a guest on the show and he made an appearance here as Cody's coach. Um Absolutely fine. Snoop Dogg was quite entertaining on the side. He was sort of trying to coach Cody. He had like a sheet with instructions on it. But I have this really um, pet peevey thing that I really need to say. And this podcast is such a wonderful format for me to do so. Because usually Arn Anderson is Cody's coach. But here it was Snoop Dogg just for the reason that he was a guest. Why the hell does Cody have a coach? He has a coach come to him to the ring. What does Arn Anderson say to him? Does he say, hit your finisher and pin him? Because if that's the case, I should be his coach. It's so obvious. I don't know what they do in terms of preparation for each individual opponent because none of Cody's matches go less than five minutes. And although I'm a massive fan of Cody as a wrestler, as his character continues to develop, I find him more and more grating. And this is one thing that has always bothered me. Why does he have a coach? He's a former TNT champion, a guy who took Chris Jericho to the limit in a world championship match. He's a guy who's previously beaten Kenny Omega in Ring of Honor. This guy can do pretty much anything. So why does he have a coach? It makes no bloody sense. Um, but that's my sort of mini rant there because it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then after this, there was a bit of a, a, a ruckus in the ring and it ended up with Serpentico being laid out. And if you have not seen this frog splash, please go and Google Snoop Dogg's frog splash. It is the worst frog splash of all time. And that is not an exaggeration. It's an absolute promise. I won't spoil anything for you, but basically Snoop Dogg tries to hit a frog splash from the top rope and my credit to him for going to the top rope and hitting a move because not just anybody could do that. Um, but let's just say Snoop Dogg did not land this properly. So it is very, very, very good to watch. Um, so yeah, overall Cody beat Seidel. He hit two crossroads. 
and we move on. It was just an exhibition match. Um, we moved on to the women's championship match, which was the second to last match on the show. It was Shida versus Abaddon for the women's title. Uh, most of this match was built around Abaddon biting Shida, which really wasn't very captivating. Me and my wife watched this and lost our interest very quickly. AEW continue to not really book the women's division with great care. Uh, Shida is a fantastic champion and I absolutely adore her work in the ring but because she is not fluent in English she can't cut a great promo. Abaddon is a character who is playing an undead girl or a zombie whatever you want to call it um, who is very hard to put down but as a as a character it doesn't really work when the champion is a fearless warrior who puts them down anyway so basically this was a really slow match that was mainly based around Abaddon having a bit of a bite and a nibble on Shida Shida's selling this really really badly but then um, she hit one move and then hit the running knee which is her finisher and one so it doesn't really help Abaddon who is this big conquering monster she's she's really really good you know in the ring when she takes the gimmick away and stops doing the biting stuff. She's a really good wrestler in between the ropes, but this was not a great match. It didn't really help elevate Shida as a champion, and it certainly didn't help Abaddon, not only in defeat, um, but she's also supposed to be this invincible character that got put down by a running knee. Um, and again, I have a ranty point, which is weird for me with AEW, because I absolutely adore this program, but there was one thing that really bothered me with this. Um... The thing that really bothered me is that Abaddon's character is a zombie, okay? Um, this is a wrestling show, so that's absolutely fine. You can have a wrestling zombie. I'm not going to say that you can't be a zombie and wrestle because that might be what you did in your previous life. But why does she want the title? Why does a zombie want the title? In a title match, she's just biting Shida. She was biting Shida in the lead-up to it. She strikes fear into all of her opponents and beats them very quickly normally. Why does she need a title to validate what she is? You know, it's a, it's just a point of discussion, potentially. So if you've got anything to add to that, let me know. Write to me on Instagram. I'd be more than happy to reference it in a post or on next week's podcast. Um, but overall, that, was a, that, that match really struggled to capture the attention. Unlike our main event, which was the AEW World Championship match, Kenny Omega versus Ray Phoenix, and oh my God... Uh, my wife literally had to go and get a spatula and to peel me from the ceiling. I absolutely popped my tits off. This was unbelievable. Um, this was an incredible match and this, no exaggeration whatsoever. If Again, if you have the ability to do so, watch this match. There were some unbelievable counters in here. There was, an, uh, there was a great spot where... Kenny took down Phoenix, he popped back up and hit a super kick straight away, but Kenny then popped straight in with a running knee. It was high pace, it was hard hitting. Kenny worked heel absolutely fantastically. He was trying to slow the match down because he knows that Phoenix is an absolute firecracker of a performer. He was taking the mick out of him verbally and physically. Don Callis was on the outside trying to encourage Kenny to be more heelish again. Kenny, I think, underestimated Phoenix in the story of the match at times. But Phoenix just worked an incredible match. Now, Phoenix, if you don't know, Ray Phoenix is arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world who has never really been that big in America. He's been absolutely huge in Mexico. He was the Triple R super champion 
um, as recently as last year, he actually lost it to Kenny Omega at Triple E R Mania, which was uh, again another fantastic match. But these two worked an unbelievable match, and for an AEW main event, which you know is just a TV show week by week, this was a pay per view quality match to me. He, uh, sorry, Phoenix. He worked a great babyface performance. Um, he pretty much as part of his babyface role threw himself about the ring like he had no tomorrow but also he fought until there was literally nothing left he was hitting moves and then collapsing afterwards because he was putting that much effort into trying to take this title from Kenny Omega Um, but Kenny just rode out the storm Kenny continues to be the best wrestler in the world at the moment he hit the one-winged angel for the one two three and took Phoenix out great match and afterwards there is a beatdown so they go to the back where obviously Kenny has elicited the help of Eddie Kingston and his family who are beating up um, Pac and Pentagon Jr. This leads to Phoenix being all on his own so they begin to beat down Phoenix but who should come out but John Moxley he's got a barbed wire baseball bat and he hits Kenny Omega with this around the stomach he threatens to hit Don Callis as he escapes the ring as well. Sorry, that escaped my mind there because what happened next absolutely blew me away. So if you will remember last week on the podcast, I talked about my absolute love for the Bullet Club and how they got me back into wrestling after WWE had turned me off of it for the second time. Well, they are back, baby. We had Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson come out of the audience to take down John Moxley. Um, Anderson and Gallows, two of the founding members of the Bullet Club in Japan, went to WWE, got absolutely ruined by them. Now are the tag team champions in Impact Wrestling, another wrestling company that AEW have started working with. And Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers take down this John Moxley attack. John Moxley, who does look great in this beatdown, to be fair. He sells, but also just won't go down easily. Um, the Good Brothers and Kenny just beat him down. They have a run-in from the Varsity Blondes, which is great, great rub for um, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison. Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr., who are not signed to full-time contracts by All Elite at the moment, but are really getting a good profile in recent weeks, um, which is great, which is great to see they're pushing young talent and giving them good opportunities. But a couple of security come down, a couple of extra wrestlers come down, Kenny and the Good Brothers continue to take guys out and who should come down to try and calm down the situation but also other former Bullet Club members, the Young Bucks so Matt and Nick come down, they have got their title belts with them they come down to the ring to try and calm everything down and then security grab Kenny by the arms and what should happen but super kicks by the Young Bucks to defend Kenny Kenny and Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows put up the two sweet sign of the Bullet Club. The Young Bucks are hesitant to start with, but they actually put their two sweet up as well. We have a reformed version of the Bullet Club in North America made up of Kenny Omega, who is clearly leading the faction, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, and Don Callis on the sidelines. This absolutely blew my mind. And again, I have to encourage you, if you are a lapsed wrestling fan, if you are someone who is potentially just slightly interested in seeing what all the fuss is about, please watch All Elite Wrestling from this week. It will absolutely blow your mind. And honestly, skip straight to the main event. It's all you really need to watch. It was absolutely incredible match. And then it led into this unbelievable angle to finish it off. So 
that was this week's All Elite Wrestling. It wasn't perfect. It was nowhere near faultless. I would give this show probably a 7.5 out of 10. I really, really enjoyed most of it, but it was at about a 6 until Kenny Phoenix, which absolutely blew me out of the water. Honestly, I had to be peeled down from the ceiling. I exploded when this happened. It was such a good match, but then for the Bullet Club to come out after... It was a wow moment for me, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. We are moving on to the football section in just a second, but if you have any thoughts on All Elite Wrestling, please, as always, let me know on Instagram. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Welcome back to section three of this week's podcast, where we are going to be touching on the key results from the football, as well as a couple of discussion points that I am really keen to bring up this week with you, and I'm keen to get your thoughts on online if possible. So, uh, this week we had FA Cup action, which was really interesting across the board, but we are going to touch on a few key results. The first of which was on Friday night, where we saw Aston Villa go up against Liverpool, where they lost 4 one where Villa had to play an under 23s and under 18s team due to a COVID outbreak in their first team squad. This meant that all first team players as well as their first team manager Dean Smith had to miss the fixture. Uh, it was an easyish game for Liverpool. They ran out very comfortable winners in the end but the big story really was the fact that Liverpool conceded a goal. Louis Barry, young Aston Villa fan, came in uh, behind Fabinho, he ran in behind, really good run in behind the defender to slot in a great finish to give Aston Villa, at the time, an equaliser. They went on to lose 4-1, but by comparison, Villa beat Liverpool's under-23s in the Cup last season 5-0. So a 4-1 win for Liverpool, but huge credit where it's due to Aston Villa's under-23s and under-18s for putting in an absolutely sensational performance to not give Liverpool a clean sheet and to not let Liverpool run out super comfortable winners, although, of course, it was a big scoreline in the end. Uh, that was also the case for Derby County. Derby had to go to Chorley of the National League with a depleted under-23 squad, also suffering from a COVID outbreak within the squad. Uh, they travelled up to Chorley of the National League, who were doing well this season, had already performed well in the FA Cup, and they performed well again. They beat Derby 2-0. They... Um, they ran out comfortable winners, actually. Derby didn't really give them too much of a game. Of course, COVID is something we're going to be discussing in football in just a moment. But Derby County went up there with an under-23 squad that, you know, from Derby County, who are a club that are known for developing great talent, and they didn't really put in the performance to show it. Chorley, very professional performance from them. They ran out 2-0 winners, and the non-league club go through to the next round. Another big surprise came for Sam Allardyce and West Bromwich Albion. They continue to struggle since the former England manager has become the new first-team manager there. Blackpool away it was for West Bromwich Albion, who they drew with 2-2. It went to extra time, no goals in extra time, and it went to the dreaded penalty shootout, where Blackpool of League One ran out winners. I think it was 4-3. I might be mistaken on that, but West Bromwich Albion of the Premier League are out of the FA Cup. They've been knocked out by League One Blackpool. Now, the biggest shock of the weekend came at Crawley. There is another discussion point that I'm going to be touching on very shortly, so please stick with me for that. But Crawley Town ran out 3-0 winners against Leeds United 
down in Crawley in the FA Cup. It was a fantastic performance, which saw them absolutely blow Leeds away, to be honest. They, they put in an absolutely sensational performance with three fantastic goals as well. Highlights are available on the BBC Sport page if you do want to have a look at that. I'm sure you can find them on YouTube. But it's definitely worth a look just to see the shock in the Leeds United players and staff's faces. Um, so a team that everybody really enjoys watching, but Leeds United are out of the FA Cup at a much earlier stage than most people would have predicted. And the other result that I want to touch on is not the fairy tale we were all hoping for. Marine lost 5-0 at home to Tottenham Hotspur, but Marine of Merseyside, um, they put up a great fight. At 5-0 down, they were still trying to go and get their goal. They were trying to make sure Spurs didn't come with it, come away with anything more. This is a non-league team that are below the National League North and South. They have had their season postponed. I think it might have even been cancelled in recent days. This is their only game for a long period of time and wow did they make themselves look good. Um, in their little grounds they had players like Gareth Bale, they had players like Vinicius, they had players like Pierre-Emerick Hoybjerg all playing against them and they did themselves proud to keep the score down at five. Um, other FA Cup results you can find online, but those are the key ones for me. I just wanted to sort of make you aware of those headlines if you weren't already. Now, there are two really important points for me this week. The first of which comes from the Crawley Leeds game. Now, I want to bring this up just because I am passionate about the impact that not making it in football has on young players. There was a devastating story. Uh, in 2020 of a young man who was released by Manchester City because he didn't make it from the academy into the professional team. He took his own life as a result because he didn't want to do anything else other than play football. Now, that is not what I am saying will happen to every young man that doesn't get their chance. But one man who has got his chance this week is Mark Right, Mark Wright, some of you may know from The Only Way is Essex, you might know him from his marriage to Michelle Keegan, you might know him for his regular performances in Soccer Aid, but Mark Wright this week was signed by Crawley Town to a short-term contract at the age of 33, which is his first professional contract. Whilst I completely understand that uh, people will follow the chase your dream aesthetic of this, I really want to discuss whether the 33-year-old is actually good enough to be playing in a professional club, having had the career he's had. He has a background in football. I believe he was with Tottenham at a young age. He was a youth team captain with Tottenham, but then fell into football obscurity, as so many young people do, but has continued to play, is continue to keep himself in good shape and has been signed by Crawley at the age of 33 and came on to make his debut from the bench against Leeds in the FA Cup. Now, it's really interesting for me to discuss this because my wife said, well, why is that really bothering you? Why does that annoy you? Because I personally have no issue with Mark Wright as a person. I don't find him annoying because of his previous background and where he found his fame. I don't dislike the way he is. I don't dislike anything about the guy, really. For all intents and purposes, I think he's quite pleasant bloke. But is he good enough to be sitting on the bench of a pro club at his age and with his experience? And And the reason I get so annoyed about it is that is someone else's opportunity that he is taking. Now, to me, 
Um, he is taking away the chance of someone from the academy to sit on the bench and potentially come on against Premier League Leeds United or someone that has come up from the lower leagues that has really worked hard full-time at making that opportunity count. I personally have had a lot of experience in the lower levels of football and know how hard some people work to make that their full-time career. It's a, it's a shame to me to see someone like Mark Wright, who, like I say, is not, for me, a bad person, but it's a shame to me to not see an 18-year-old who's come through Corley's Academy, who's been there since the age of six or seven, get on the bench because essentially a celebrity is sitting on the bench. He's, he's at the age of 33. It's his first professional club. He's gone straight into the football league as well. It's not like he's joined a club in non-league um, in a similar area like Boreham Wood or Whitehawk, you know, um, someone in the National League or National League North and South. He's gone straight in at Football League and it has to raise the question, who is this for? Now, it's clearly a publicity stunt to me, but I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts. I'm sure that some people will disagree with me, but surely this is a publicity stunt just to get eyes on Crawley Town. Crawley are a club that I respect massively. They've taken huge leaps in the last 20 years to go from obscurity to the Football League. Uh, of course, I'm sure a number of you will remember when they went to Old Trafford and got United to a one, like kept United to a one-nil win. It was a very tight game. Um, but this is a club that has got great tradition, and it's a shame for me to see a club sign a celebrity because he's a celebrity. Essentially, it's disappointing to me further. You know, I saw this and thought, oh, okay, they've signed him, but he probably won't play. And then the next day, he's playing against Leeds in the FA Cup. Yes, they're 3-0 up. Yes, he is okay at football, but come on, please. he He's a guy who's been signed for his fame. And you've got young lads in the academy who would absolutely chomp at the bit to get that opportunity. So something that really sort of boiled my blood this week is that Mark Wright has just walked into professional football. And other people are missing out on their opportunity essentially it just it rubs me up the wrong way but I'd be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on that that's just something that is a discussion point for me that I think needs bringing up another point for me so out of the five games that I profiled you had Villa Liverpool and Chorley Derby where two of those four teams had to self-isolate their full first team squad and staff due to a Covid outbreak it has also come out in the last few hours that there are huge delays in Scottish football as well due to COVID-19 outbreaks. And it begs the question, should football still be going on during COVID? So Celtic Hibernian is going ahead tonight with 13 players unavailable for Celtic due to the COVID-19 outbreak. There is a point where you have to say, yes, it should still be going on. If we're continuing football, they have to take the right precautions. And if they don't follow those and they have to self-isolate, then that's fine. They have to do that and the games can carry on. But are we putting people at risk just to play football or just to show football, essentially? You look at this, 13 players, that's an incredibly large amount. But then you think, God, that's nothing compared to a first team squad in the Premier League, which is 25 players they register for the first team. Now, it might be a case that not all of them get infected, but you are putting them all at risk by keeping them in these large groups. Uh, there, there is testing on a regular basis. I will caveat what I'm saying with that they are tested on a regular basis. But 
Regardless of that, we are seeing huge outbreaks in Premier League and Championship clubs. Teams that have played in the Champions League, in, in Celtic's case, in recent seasons. So why is it that there are these outbreaks? It is because you cannot keep these players in a specific bubble. These players are going home to their families who have interacted potentially with other people. The rules are that people can go and meet someone else outside one-to-one, I think. I think I'm pretty sure that's the rule. If it's not, we took our dog for a walk the other day. This is just the best example that's popped into my head right now. And the footpath we were on, we expected to be quiet, was heaving with people out on their bikes and walking with their kids and pets. Now, we wore masks and we stayed to one side when people were coming past us, but others weren't. And that can happen, and that's fine. It's allowed to happen, I guess. People are allowed to go out walking. It's their daily exercise. If people aren't taking the precautions and aren't giving each other space, it's going to continue to spread. And in terms of football, I just think it's really dangerous to keep football running whilst this virus continues to spread. You look at the fact that, let's say a player has got a wife at home, no kids, just his wife. His wife takes his dog for a walk and puts her hand on a gate that someone holds open for her, who is an asymptomatic carrier of the virus. She gets it, gives it to this player, he goes into the club and gives it to all of the squad and all of the staff. Now, I know from personal experience, and I'm sure that anyone with a football knowledge knows that staff at a football club are not all young people. A number of them have been there for a number of years, in some cases are working into their later years towards their retirement, which puts them at risk anyway. But further than that, people at football clubs are not immune from other conditions such as lung issues or you know other things that make them vulnerable. So it's really odd to me that a number of things are being postponed, such as, as again, as of today, um, the Champions Cup in rugby has been postponed or suspended, but football continues. And it's almost to me as if football sees itself above government advice. I'd be really interested to see what people think. I am I'm a huge football fan. I absolutely adore football, but I believe that human life is far more important. And I just feel like it it's going to have to cost someone's life in football. Someone's going to have to die in a football club for this to have to be taken seriously. Yes, there are athletes at the top of their peak physical condition, but that doesn't mean that they can't become seriously ill with this and we continue to persevere. So you look at that Villa team or that Derby team, the under-23s, they have played Liverpool, fantastic achievement, or Derby in their case, have had to go to Chorley. But they're now at risk, aren't they? They're in the same environment as the first team. So they're now at risk. So if they all get it, what, they're going to play the under-16s in their next game or are they going to be able to postpone it? And if they were able to postpone it... Why couldn't they postpone the first one and not put these younger players at risk? You know, it's something that is, again, it really boils my blood. Um, Again, from personal experience, I work in non-league football at the moment. We're not getting any testing. So God knows how many people have actually got the virus in and around the places that we have been in recent weeks. Luckily, I got a test last early last week and it's come back negative. But... These teams are being tested on a daily, if not 
bi-daily basis and are still having huge outbreaks. So it begs the question, should football continue? Not just at a lower level, but at any level. It's a contentious point, I know, but it'd be really interesting to see people's thoughts. If you know me personally, send me a message. If not, send me a message on Instagram. It's something I'd love to discuss with each of my listeners. But that sort of rounds off the football section with me getting a little bit animated there. But overall, I just want to know, what do you think? Should football continue during the COVID pandemic? We are going to move on to a little bit of more positive news in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, today, Kevin Feige announced that Black Panther 2 will not feature a CGI version of the recently deceased Chadwick Boseman. Now, if you're not aware, Chadwick Boseman was the actor who played the Black Panther in um, Captain America Civil War, the Black Panther standalone movie, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. A fantastic actor who was tragically taken due to uh, cancer in 2020. So that has sort of left a gap in terms of the cinematic universe's casting because obviously Black Panther 2 is set for a May release in 2022 but now their lead actor is no longer obviously with us which is absolutely devastating news at the time and again my condolences to the family and friends of Chadwick Boseman. Um, But it's been great news today that Kevin Feige has confirmed there will be no CGI version of Chadwick Boseman and we will not see a recasted version of the Black Panther either. The Black Panther 2 uh, sequel will instead focus on other factions and other subcultures in Wakanda. So it seems as if we are going to try and move away from the Black Panther and it might be that they give him an off-screen ending rather than trying to figure something out with CGI or something like that. So that's really good news. I'm glad that they're not going to try and shoehorn that in. Um, Another really good thing is that this Friday, January the 15th, we are finally back in the MCU. For the first time since Spider-Man Far From Home, we have the release of WandaVision. Uh, WandaVision is, of course, uh, the first series that Marvel are bringing out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we We understand that there are going to be two premiere episodes this Friday and there will be nine episodes in the first series. Now there are big rumours that there are big appearances, big crossover and big big surprises in this series. Uh, I know that Marvel didn't release more than three episodes, the first three episodes to critics and I I want to say that's probably because they're hiding something big that happens from series, uh, so from episode three onwards. So um, hopefully huge things to come there. And 2021 is absolutely stacked this year. I'm so excited about the MCU this year. Of course, we call it the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. That also counts now for Disney+. Plus. This year, I'm going to read off a list of all the stuff that we've got coming up, and I'm going to sort of touch on each of them as we go. So we've got WandaVision, which I've already gone into. We've got, on March the 19th, we are expecting the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Of course, this is where we will pick up with Sam Wilson, who is The Falcon, and um, James Buchanan Barnes, The Winter Soldier. Uh, These guys are going to be doing a team-up series but we are going to see how Sam, or the Falcon, however you want to refer to him, copes with the pressures of being the new Captain America and having Cap's shield from the end of Avengers Endgame. On the same day, 
we are expecting also the release of Morbius. Now, that might be moved due to issues with the COVID pandemic, but as things stand, we are expecting Sony to release Morbius. Now, that's going to fit into the Spider-Man universe, we understand. On May the 7th, we've got the delayed Black Widow movie releasing. Now, this is a prequel movie, so it predates um, the events of Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. That was due for a 2020 release and has been pushed back, so that one will hopefully be coming out this year. I'm begging them to release it on Disney Plus if they don't release it in cinemas because I have to see that film at this point. Um, between May and June, we are expecting the Loki series to drop. That looks really exciting. The first trailer dropped for that last week, so go and have a look if you haven't already. On June the 25th, we are expecting Venom 2, which is the follow-up to Tom Hardy's film in 20... I want to say 18. might have been 19. I'm pretty sure it's 2018. Um, but Venom, very popular. It did better than anyone expected at the box office. And Venom 2, which is set to feature an appearance from Woody Harrelson's Carnage. And again, we'll link in with the Spider-Man universe. Between June and August is the What If series. Now, if you don't know what the What If series is, a very brief description is that this is an animated Marvel series where they will just put What If something else had happened. So um, so what if Black Panther was Star-Lord? What if... Uh, so these are episodes that are confirmed. What if um, there were Marvel zombies? And what if... Peggy Carter took the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers. So some really interesting stuff to come out of that. July the 9th, 2021, we have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is the first Asian superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we are going to have. That's a really exciting one. Great character in the comic books. We have September, October time, we're going to have the Ms. Marvel series. If you listen to my podcast on the Avengers game, you will learn loads about Ms. Marvel because Kamala Khan is Ms. Marvel. So please listen to that podcast to get that information. November the 5th, we're going to get the Eternals. Between November to December, we are going to get the Hawkeye series, which will feature um, Jeremy Renner coming back as Hawkeye, as well as the new Kate Bishop character being introduced. And on December 7th, the day that I'm looking forward to the most in 2021, as well as obviously this virus finally going away, is the release of Spider-Man 3 in the MCU, following on from the events of Spider-Man Far From Home, where Peter Parker's identity was revealed by Quentin Beck, Mysterio. I am so excited to see where that goes. There are a lot of rumours that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will impact that, as well as WandaVision. No confirmed release date for Doctor Strange 2 yet, but Spider-Man 3 is expected to come out this year, and I could not be more excited. That is all of the Marvel news, and I am really pleased, firstly, about the Black Panther news, that they're not going to try and somehow worm Black Panther in there or recast him. I think Chadwick Boseman's legacy has to live on. But hopefully you're as excited as me to learn about all of those upcoming releases. Now that is the positive note I wanted to end on. And that is the end of our second weekly episode. I want to thank you so much again for joining me. I've been your host, Toby. If you want to follow me, if you want to add any comments to anything that's been discussed today, it is Anything Goes Podcast underscore 616 on Instagram. Please feel free to send me a message and I will see you soon.